last time on License to Parent. If a child says that they are transgender, you cannot counsel against that. I'll end up in jail before I'll tell a kid it's okay. That's Dr. Meg Meeker, and this is License to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherds Hill Academy, a year-long residential program for teens in crisis and, by extension, to their families. Our host is Trace Embry, the founder and director of Shepherds Hill, and I'm Rich Rosel. Thanks for joining us today. Well, Trace, we have invited Dr. Meg Meeker back to join us once again. She uh, has been practicing uh, as a pediatrician for more than 30 years. She's author of the bestseller, Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters. She serves on the advisory board of the Medical Institute and is a fellow of the American Academy of Pediatrics, as well as an associate professor of medicine at the Michigan State University College of Human Medicine. Uh, Incidentally, this is part two of a conversation with Dr. Meeker. And if you missed part one, please go to our website licensedtoparent.org and click on the radio archives and you can hear that conversation. Uh, We've invited her back, though, because we just barely scraped the surface on her newest book that's uh, just out called Raising a Strong Daughter in a Toxic Culture. And Dr. Meeker, welcome back to Licensed to Parent. Oh, I'm happy to be with you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Well, it's an honor and a privilege here uh, to have you back. Listen, uh, generally speaking, what do you see as a teenage girl's preeminent challenge growing up in 2020 America? Um, I will tell you, and because uh, I've asked them, and they say two things routinely, sex and dieting. Um, they mm. feel very conflicted, very pressured to be sexually active, at least in high school. Though, interestingly enough, and good for them, um, only about half of kids in high school are sexually active. So that is very encouraging. Yeah. But beyond intercourse, I think there are other sexual activities that are going way, way, way up. Yes. Uh, Let me ask you, I've, I've got my own take on this. Why is lesbian activity so popular, even in the younger uh, age groups with young ladies today? You know, it's interesting. They would argue, lesbians would argue, it's a genetic inherent um, behavior bent, if you will. But we're finding now that there was a study that came out on daughters raised by lesbian women that more than 50% of those daughters became lesbian or are lesbian. Mm-hmm. So that tells you that there really is a social influence. It's yeah. not just in genetic. And so we now know that you know, your, se- your sexual bent can be manipulated um, by the environment in, in which you grow up. Sure. So I think that um, we need to understand that you know, kids can be manipulated. Secondly, I believe that a lot of girls are turning towards other women, maybe because they didn't have a dad growing up. They have no idea what it feels like to be loved by a man, respected by a man, communicate with a man, um, or to be close to a man. Now, that's not always the case. There are plenty of girls who grow up and are lesbians and they had good relationships with their fathers. But I do think, I really do think the increase in lesbianism is higher because of the absence of many fathers in the home. Yeah. I poll our kids regularly. I'm in chapels with them. We do these special convocations on different uh, topics and whatnot. 
And our boys and our girls are not allowed to, to have any interaction whatsoever. Uh, if they're 40 acres across the field, they look in that direction. You know, there's a consequence for that. So they've learned to discipline themselves in that area. But in chapel, uh, I, I make some exceptions, and this, this was one of them. I had asked the girls, raise your hand if you've quit looking for a good guy uh, because they're just not out there anymore. And over the past few years, it's been unanimous. And they've quit looking for guys because they're, in their minds, they're animals. They're at for one thing. They're going to use them, abuse them, and then lose them. And uh, so that's the time I say, guys, take a look. You're welcome to look. I said, that's an indictment against you, gentlemen. And, and then I ask them another question. I want you to raise your hand. If, if you could find a, a guy that you knew that would love you like Christ loved the church, that would support you, that would be true to you and never stray, and, and uh, he was going to be a good father to your children and, and uh, provide for you, uh, how many of you would have any problem submitting to his authority as the head of your home? Same thing. Every hand goes up. I didn't prime these girls. I, 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 I don't uh, you know, give them any kind of guilt trip. I just ask the simple question. And, and around here, these kids know you can object. You can disagree. You can freely argue your point. No one's going to you know, turn you into a toad for doing so. What does that speak to you, Dr. Meg? Well, I think that he, they're right. I, I think that over the past 20 years, past 30 years, Men and women, particularly women, have been so objectified um, that that has drawn young boys, men, into seeing them as objects, which means they treat them poorly and they they sexually override them, and girls see that around them and they don't want to and they they don't like it, and um, it gives them a skewed view of men, um, because there are good men out there. There are, um, you know, men who want to be faithful, who want to love, who want to take care of, and who want to nurture women. But unfortunately, I think we're training young men to objectify women, and there are many women who are supporting it. Um, They're allowing themselves to be objectified because they say that's their right, um, and so we're really, we're really retraining how some young men see girls. And if girls see this going on, they say, I don't want any part of that. You know, I just really don't want any part of that. We're also seeing, too, an, another thing working here where in the media, find a good man. They're hard to come by. I mean, because men are portrayed, even young adult men are portrayed as stupid and lazy right. and all they want is sex. And right. girls, girls see that. So um, I understand where these girls are coming from. Yeah, yeah. I want to get back to some of this uh, a little later on, but I do want to just take a little parenthesis and, and ask you this, uh, because I think it's really important. Uh, I know a lot of girls, I forget the percentage, I think it's pushing 50%, maybe you probably know these stats better than I do, but uh, of girls have sent, you know, sexually explicit pictures over the internet, sexting, and when polled, like 95% of them don't want to do it. They feel like they have to do it. 
Uh, but why should my daughter or son, uh, while living under my roof, why should they be allowed to have 24-7 unencumbered access to a smartphone of their own, whether they're in the home or out the door? Tell me why that's happening. Well, because parents cave to parent peer pressure. Mm-hmm. I mean, parents, the, the parents that I talk to when I say, wait a minute, she's 13. Why is she have a phone and is on social media six hours a day and you don't like it? Well, I don't like it, but. I don't like it, but. I don't want her to have a phone, but. Mm-hmm. And the but always is followed by, um, what will my friends think? What will her friends think? I don't want her to be left out. I don't want her to be ostracized. And so there's an excuse there to justify them going against their good instincts to do what they believe in their heart is the wrong thing, but they're caving to that peer pressure. So really, peer pressure is a lot worse for parents than it is for kids. There is, there's no doubt about that. Uh, but biblically speaking, you know, by giving your kid one of these addictive adult toys, you're exasperating them. You're provoking them to anger. You're causing them to stumble. And the excuse that, well, my kid's going to be ostracized, uh, that doesn't fly. Uh, we're a little spoiled in America as, as far as Christian parents. We're just now starting to have to endure what Christian parents in other cultures around the world have had to endure for 2,000 years. We, we're no longer the majority where it's part of our culture any longer. And it's really f- fleshing out and uh, pruning who the, who the real committed ones are. I'm not going to question anyone's faith, but uh, as far as the, the true disciples are anyway. But, but think about this, Dr. Meeker. If you can't pull the lever on a slot machine until you're 21 years old because of its addictive qualities, why in the world are we giving these addictive adult toys to our kids 24-7, unencumbered access to all the pornography, to all the, the, the predators, uh, to, you know, true death videos. It's like giving your kid a key to the liquor cabinet and saying, you know, uh, uh, let's just get a, a, a healthy protocol for the liquor cabinet for you, Junior. Dr. Meeker, I just wanted to ask you if you could suggest a, a wise social media protocol for the uh, parents of, uh, of daughters listening today. Um. Don't let them have any. <laughs> but I know that's not realistic. What I tell parents, because even though I advise them not to give their kids cell phones, at least iPhones, until they're much older, right. you know, 16, 17-ish, um, they kind of roll their eyes and say, well, my daughter already has it, and she's 11, and she's on social media. I say, okay, how long is she on social media? About six hours a day. Mm. Well, let's wean her down. And let's get her to a point where she's on it maybe half hour in the morning, half hour in the afternoon, and that's it. Kids can't self-regulate. And parents live with the illusion or the hope, perhaps, that they can, that their kid can get up, uh, play a game on their iPhone that's a decent game, and then shut it off after 45 minutes. Kids can't do that. Certainly, kids should not have phones, particularly smartphones, in their bedroom at night, 
uh, buy them an alarm clock if you say they need to have an alarm clock. Just they can make do, certainly. The other thing is if you are going to give your child a phone before 16 or 17, um, give them a flip phone. You know, my husband carries a flip phone. And he said, I don't want more invasion into my life. I don't want to be tempted to get on my iPhone and start looking at hunting things and, you know, water sports things. And and he doesn't even have ADD. But even for the regular mind, you're (laughs) going to get on there and just start following this and following. It's so incredibly distracting. Mm -hmm. Um, so, So that's, you know, very important. Also, if you give your kids a phone, it's got to be a family phone. Yes. Because psychologically, there's a big difference between a 14-year-old having their own phone versus using the family phone. Yeah. Because they feel there's some accountability in with the family phone, and it limits their use because right. they can't be on there all the time. We're talking with Dr. Meg Meeker. She's written a book called Raising a Strong Daughter in a Toxic Culture. You're listening to Licensed to Parent. Our host is Trace Embry. I'm Rich Rosal, and we'll be back with more right after this. In today's digital age, there's more access than ever to digital devices. With technology constantly evolving to make our lives easier, is it any wonder that many feel as though they just can't live without it? Digital addiction can be just as chemically debilitating as drugs. Time in front of a screen can drastically affect the life of your child. For starters, your child may choose technology over simple things like playing outside and engaging in exercise, acquiring a job, and gaining life experience. To learn more about how digital addiction can affect your child, visit helpmytroubledteen.org, click on Resources, and look for the article, What is Digital Addiction? Parenting isn't easy. Shepherds Hill Academy wants to equip you with resources for all areas and issues of life. Discover a variety of ebooks, podcasts, links, and more to help you navigate the parenting landscape. Help by TroubledTeen.org. Is your teen's behavior dangerous? Your child's behavior may seem incredibly volatile during the teenage years. Sometimes the signs and symptoms come and go quickly as your child is growing, but other times behaviors are developed and nurtured that will lead to unhealthy choices. Here are a few items to consider. Does your teen refuse to abide by anything you say or request? Is your teen displaying behavior that's a marked change from what has been normal? Has your teen become increasingly disrespectful, dishonest, and disobedient, and openly rebellious? Go to HelpMyTroubledTeen.org and take the quiz, Is My Teen Troubled? While some behavioral issues are minor and best resolved at home, there are warning signs that your teen may need a more structured approach to get them on a healthy, constructive path. And Shepherd's Hill Academy is here to help. Visit HelpMyTroubledTeen.org and click on Is My Teen Troubled? HelpMyTroubledTeen.org. This is Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherd's Hill Academy. A reminder that you'll find us online at LicensedToParent.org. And uh, our guest today on Licensed to Parent is Dr. Meg Meeker. We're talking about her latest book, Raising a Strong Daughter in a Toxic Culture. Let's turn the corner, if we may, though, because in your book uh, about the toxic culture that we're trying to help our daughters in particular, but our kids in general, avoid – 
There are a lot more things beyond social media, and in fact, this uh, predates social media by a long time, and that's eating disorders, and that's something that is particularly a problem for many young girls. Uh, what do you think is at the, at the root of that, and how do we deal with that with our kids? Well, first of all, I want to clarify that eating disorders aren't just, you know, starvation, anorexia nervosa. Eating disorders also include bulimia nervosa, where, you know, there's binging and purging. But they also include um, addictive eating, you know, overeating. And I think they're all driven by the same thing. And that is, girls feel an intense amount of pressure, really starting in fourth or fifth grade, to be thin and to appear beautiful to their peers. Um, and the reason they feel this is because they're marketed it, and nobody unmarkets it. Mm. And I hold some mothers responsible for this, and mothers don't like to hear that. But mm. how many girls have grown up in a home where mom constantly says, I just need to lose that 10 pounds. If I could only lose that last 20 pounds, oh, I could wear nicer clothes. The constant focus on weight and how it ties into your identity. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying mothers shouldn't go on diets, but stop talking about your appearance and dieting. Just do it. But don't, yeah. don't tell everybody because it, it makes your girls feel, if my mom feels that she needs to be thinner, then it's really important. So I need to look at my own figure and thinness. So I better do something about it. But, and, and girls feel that their value is tied up in their appearance, particularly their thinness. Mm-hmm. And that's because of magazines. It's because of, you know, television and, and even social media. Because one of the things that girls will do on social media is they will have um, shots taken of them, and then they'll Photoshop them, right. and then they'll post them. See it all the time. So they're even trying to make themselves look more appealing to their girlfriends, even though everything's Photoshopped. Yeah. So it's very toxic to girls. Yeah. So in light of that, how, how can parents help their daughters better fulfill their need for significance and acceptance in a way that transcends mere appearance, uh, you know, to where yeah. girls actually value substance over style? How, right. do, how do parents do that? Well, first of all, parents need to really start paying attention to the words they use, um, the body language they use, and what they're focusing on in their speech to their daughters. And I think that parents would be amazed at how many times they're commenting on the child's appearance and performance. Mm -hmm. But the way to stop doing that is to change the way you talk. Set your mind on things above. You know, change the way you talk, and it'll change the way you feel and the way you see people. And the best way to do that is to look at your child, train yourself as a parent to look at your child and not see the child's figure, but to see the child's character. Yes. Every child has positive character traits or qualities. So pick those out in your kids and comment on them. Whenever you want to say, oh, you look so pretty, or oh, have you lost weight, or oh, you're getting so much more fit, say to your child, you know what, I am so grateful to see that you're, so, you're getting more patient with your sister. Or, you know what, I know that you're having a hard time in math, but I'm so proud of you that you're persevering. You have tenacity to 
go through it anyway. And that is a skill that's really going to... So focus on praise and character, and it'll retrain you from thinking about talking about the person's appearance. That's really good counsel. You know, I, I tell the girls here at Shepherd's Hill, well, uh, what good is a, is a whole ton of ornaments if you have no tree to put it on? It... it, it, it goes back to the substance and style thing and i wanted to ask you about you know uh modest attire um i've got parents who tell me that they can't find modest attire uh, in stores i don't believe that uh for their their kids to wear and then i've got some moms who are you know pushing 40 years old uh who still look really good and they like to show off their goodness a little bit too much uh what message is that sending uh, to their daughter Well, it's sending a couple bad messages, and one is that you need to hold on to youth and to your figure and to beauty because that's what makes you significant. That's what really counts in life. But there's something else very toxic going on that mothers never think about. A girl feels that her mother is competition. Hmm. Mothers often boast that they can wear their daughter's clothes. Yes. Don't. I see that all the time. Don't. Because your daughter feels that, A, why is my mom competing with me? B, why does my mom want to look like she's younger and look like me? I think that's really pretty creepy. Mm -hmm. And they also see their mom more as a peer than as a mature, wiser person. So mothers need to give their daughters their day. Let your daughter... You know, dress like a teenager. Let your daughter dress like a 25-year-old. If you're 45, don't dress like your daughter. If you want to dress up and look younger, whatever, do it on a date with your husband. But (laughs) I see so many moms come in, and they look more beautiful than their 18-year-old daughters. And I thought, how would you like to be that 18-year-old girl Mm -hmm. when your mom is coming in trying to look better than you? Yeah. That is that is really that is so toxic to a young girl, yeah. and I see it all the time. Mm. Um, and those are the mothers that are constantly driving their daughters to lose weight, who, by the way, always end up gaining weight because they can't stand their mother, you know, driving them to lose weight. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and what's going on when, when young ladies wear provocative outfits, and, uh, and older ladies for that matter, uh, and, and then act all offended when what they're naively or in some cases intentionally uh, putting on display gets gawked at by some hormonally challenged guy? Is this a power thing? It's like, okay, I, I'm putting myself on display, and then I'm going to say, oh, look at my face, not that. Yeah, it is a power play. And I think it's a game that many adult women do, too. Of course. And that is they go to men and they say, come here, come here, come here. And then the guy gets close, says something about their appearance, and they go, don't you dare. Yeah. Well, you can't have it both ways. Right. You just can't. Well, they're trying you know, to. <laughs> you can't seduce and then stop. It's cruel, and it's a power play, and it's a girl saying, aha, I got you. And that is the you one see, that's the one place that girls do have power over a guy. That 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 is they do. that's their power play right there, man. And it happens even with ninth graders. Mm-hmm. Girls get it. Girls know they wear seductive clothing because they want people to turn their heads and look. Yeah. Both boys and girls, they want girls to see how what their figure really looks like and they want boys to see how sexy they are because 
they feel they need to be, and yet they are really playing a game. And I think that if you have a son, you really need to teach him how to be wise to this. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, because... because yeah. Yeah. The, the, a guy can't even politely tell a female, "Hey, you look nice," or "I like your dress," or "You know, your haircut oh, yeah. looks good," or "Your perfume smells good," uh, without being accused of harassment. Uh, yeah. What's up with that? And, and then she goes and, and joins the Me Too movement. <laughs> like the pendulum is swung <laughs> you know, way it, over the other really side. It really is. You know, I understand the Me Too movement started because some women were really badly Genuinely, abused, yes, and they wanted to say we can't keep this hidden anymore. Right. But then it morphed into this um, we hate men movement, all men are bad movement. We should be able to do whatever we want in front of men, and they should not respond because we have the right to do, but we also have the right to tell them what to do. Yeah. But it doesn't work that way. It, it is important for us to to state that no matter how a woman is dressed or even undressed, that doesn't give a man the right to act inappropriately and do the wrong things. But it's also true to say you don't carry a can of gasoline to a bonfire and yeah. set it right next to it. Don't, you, don't throw a steak in front of a wolf and expect him not to eat it. Right. You know, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Because you're absolutely right. I, I, you know, men absolutely have no right to do this to women. But I also think that women need to take the responsibility of not seducing men. Now, that does not mean that a woman shouldn't be able to walk down a street in a short skirt yeah. and if she's assaulted, um, be told it was her fault. Right. It is not. Right. That's not what I'm talking about. Right. It is not. It used to be called common what sense. what I'm saying is there is a power play going on. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Well, listen, uh, Dr. Meeker, you've been so gracious to, to stick around for a second program. Uh, we could talk all day about this stuff. Uh, you know, our daughters are, are the future mothers, the, the, the engineers of our nation's future. And it's really important uh, what you've got in your, in your book uh, to get out there. Uh, folks, if you can, uh, order that, that book off of Amazon. And where, and where else can they get it? Uh, I'd go to your local bookstore, um, but I encourage parents, they can't buy the book on my website, but I have a lot of information and discussion about what we've been talking about at meekerparenting.com. Raising a strong daughter in a toxic culture. And Go that, ahead and get it. And that's M-E-E-K-E-R parenting, meekerparenting.com. Correct. And uh, Dr. Meg, you have been a blessing to us as always. We look forward to having you again uh, on the program in, in hopefully the near future, not the distant future. And uh, again, I would commend this book to you because while we've gone all over the map in talking about the topic, <laughs> If you get the book, you'll get a much more concise uh, and, and well organized. thought out, organized presentation <laughs> than we could possibly bring well, I'm to you a, today. I'm more ADD, ADHD than any kid in the program, and I've had coffee today. So that's my excuse. That's I'm a, sticking it, with it. That, there's traces, toxic culture. And by the way, again, the name of the book is... <laughs> but I'm, in, I'm running a program. I'm not in one. Okay, good. <laughs> Raising a Strong Daughter in a Toxic Culture by Dr. Meg Meeker. Again, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, ma'am. Oh, thank you. And that concludes this edition of License to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherds Hill Academy. Again, you can find all of our past conversations on issues pertinent to intentional parenting on our website at licensetoparent.org. And while you're there, would you consider becoming one of our ministry partners? This organization can't continue without the help of faithful people like you, folks who 
agree with what we're trying to accomplish at Shepherd's Hill Academy, a year-long residential program for troubled teens, and also who have benefited through what we talk about here on the program. You can make your online tax-deductible donations securely on our website, licensedtoparent.org, and we thank you in advance. On behalf of our host, Trace Embry, I'm Rich Rosel. Thanks so much for joining us, and please make plans to join us again next time and once again renew your License to Parent. And remember, folks, if you don't train your children, somebody else will. God bless you. We'll see you next time.